Hey, I'm Angeline Francis. And I'm Al Donato. You're listening to Born and Raised from HuffPost Canada. This episode of Born and Raised is all about second-generation Canadians who've had their lives changed by their family restaurants. Restaurants are such a common thread in many immigrant stories. The Canadian food industry is one of the easiest industries to enter, as long as you're okay with low pay and backbreaking hours. Let's dig in. My parents immigrated to Canada separately. My dad was born in China and worked in different restaurants across Canada, so somehow made his way to Nova Scotia. Not too long after that, my mom moved from Hong Kong, so she was Hong Kong born. Two single Chinese people, it was a marriage meant to be. Vanessa Ling Yu's parents owned a restaurant in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia, and it's where she first fell in love with food. My dad's restaurant was called Ming's, the oldest single person owned and operated restaurant in Canada. So my dad worked for all of that time, 16 to 18 hours a day. Combo platters, chicken fried rice, Cantonese chow mein, garlic sparrows, ginger. It kind of amazes me that dad doesn't understand the significance of Ming's to the surrounding community. And I knew because Ming's was amazing. People came, you know, like people don't go to prom at a restaurant and also go to the restaurant with their parents and then for lunch. Like it's it's not the be all and end all. Like there's not very many restaurants that do everything that Ming's did. Before I was 18, had stuffed like at least three to four wedding proposals in fortune cookies. So I knew that that was not a typical experience. Five years ago, my brother was going to take it over. Um, it was kind of an automatic, like, of course you're going to do this. It hurt because I, I, I want to be part of the family. For realistic reasons, immigrant parents who've worked in food, they know that food is hard and they also see girls in a certain way. And if, if at all, they'd like to keep their kids out of it and especially keep their daughters out of it because it's hard work. When immigrants move to Canada, they usually want their kids to have easier lives than they did. In Vanessa's case, they really wanted her to be a bank teller. I think we need to understand certain things so that we can get over them. If I just like looked at it from the surface, I might never speak to them again. I don't want to sound selfish, but when I hear stories like what Vanessa was dealing with with her parents not wanting her to continue the family restaurant, it gets me so sad because then there's are so few family restaurants left and I want to eat at them. Mm. I don't think you're being selfish at all because the decline of the family restaurant is actually a pretty big deal in terms of preserving culture. I talked to someone who's been witnessing this firsthand. Salima Jivraj is a second gender who comes from a Tanzanian Indian background. She's known for her food reviews on where to eat halal in her city. So when a magazine asked her to list some favorite spots, she found that she could only name two restaurants from her culture. It dawned on me that this is, there's not much out there. And then on the other side as well, the restaurants themselves looked the exact same 30 years ago. Even the owners were the same and they were aging. So 
my fear and what I thought immediately is there's no one here preserving our culture. Their children, they don't want to take over the family business. It's not their interest. Um, so there is going to be a lack of, of these, these memories and these foods um, in the future for our own children. But I think there's a silver lining in this in that maybe preserving culture doesn't have to look like the family restaurant as we know it, but it can be adapting the family restaurant. In Toronto, in Chinatown, there's this Vietnamese sub-restaurant that's run by the parents. Uh, they sell banh mi. But they have that old restaurant. It's been there for, I think, decades at this point. And their kids actually created a spin-off chain called Banh Mi Boys. So they're kind of like taking the old family restaurant, uh, the old family recipes, and are kind of adapting it for like the modern era and the new generation. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it's also attracting a whole new demographic because as second geners tend to be millennials, they tend to be younger, they don't really want to go to somewhere where it's everything is super traditional. They might want to go somewhere fun and new that their friends would go to too. So we've heard how a restaurant upbringing can complicate family relationships, but that's not the whole story. Now we're going to hear from Eden Hagos. She's the founder of Black Foodie, a media and events company that celebrates food and Black communities. So she's in the business of throwing parties, living the dream. Among other things. And these parties are definitely the kind you bring an empty stomach to, as they celebrate African and Caribbean food. So Aden went a very untraditional route with Black Foodie, but it's very much influenced by the restaurant she grew up in. My family had an Ethiopian restaurant in downtown Windsor, and at that time, I remember very clearly, even though I was young, um, my uncle spent a lot of time and money to make sure he presented the best possible um, depiction of like East Africa in the restaurant. So he had like special chairs brought in. I remember this big disco ball, which has nothing to do with Africa, but I think they had like, you know, African parties there on the weekend. But as young adults, Eden realized she and her friends didn't frequent any of the great Ethiopian restaurants in her city. So she decided to do something about it. Injera and Chill is a food-focused day party. There's always a DJ. Uh, we play African music. We also invite chefs and like restaurant owners to come and showcase basically the best of what they make and have it prepared in a way that's non-traditional. So everybody would have like a small plate and, you know, probably be eating standing up while dancing. So that's not the typical way to eat injera. But they get to have that injera and chill, you know, with their friends. Injera and chill is fast becoming an international thing, popping up in Toronto, the US, and the UK. They've become socials known for showing off the best of East Africa in a way we can all relate to. I'm not doing things the same way my parents did. You know, when they opened that restaurant, it was a business opportunity for them. Um, and they wanted to make it the way they had it at home. I know that there's a whole generation of other Ethiopian Canadians like me who um, have grown up on these familiar flavors, but have had to remix things to fit their lifestyle and also maybe aren't eating it as often. So they're looking, you know, for a treat and looking for a space in which they can do it that's more inviting. You know, we all are learning how to preserve the culture. We might not necessarily speak the national language. We might not even know how to prepare these dishes, but it still is very much a part of who we are. My family actually really, at the beginning, were um, 
like go get a real job. <laughs> but um, now they're very much supportive. Uh, even other East African parents have like told my parents, hey, we've, we've seen your daughter do this or she's showing our culture. And I think they're proud that I'm maintaining it and doing it my own way and creating opportunities from it as well. And in his own way, Eden's dad is joining in on the fun too. And um, whenever he prepares anything, he goes, hey, take a picture of this, put it on Instagram, you know? <laughs> I have my dad blocked on Instagram. What? Okay, story time. <laughs> oh no, what no reason. Mm. Well, like I love that they can have fun together on Instagram there, but my dad will see me in on a beach in a bathing suit and say cover, cover up. Cover up, yeah. <laughs> the so. sun is seeing too much. <laughs> but I guess when it's like, oh look, I took this, I took a picture of this food here, and then go and put it on your Instagram for all your followers, it's like all a right. little bit of friend. Acceptable. A little bit of fatherly pride. Yeah, yeah. All right, so what story do we have up next? Well, okay, this next one is more about a restaurant that joins the family. Okay, so we have a little role reversal. Mm-hmm, yep. I want you to meet Mike Tan. He runs a Cambodian-inspired restaurant. His parents are from Cambodia, and they were less than thrilled when their son got into cooking. Well, we have a meat delivery coming through. <laughs> ah, cool. Yeah, it's always busy, yeah. even when it's not open. Yeah, oh, yeah. Once we get into this building, there's always people in here. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm the owner of Tuk Tuk Canteen, Mike Tan, uh, chef, dishwasher, cook, uh, handyman, everything of Tuk Tuk, the jack of all trades. So Tuk Tuk is uh, a little motorcycle with a, a carriage on the back. We took the name Tuk Tuk because what you do is you ask the Tuk Tuk driver, like, hey, where can I get some noodles? Where can I get uh, some good fried chicken? And they're like, oh, and they just like get you into the, the tuk-tuk and you take off and you go find food. My parents came to Canada because uh, of the Khmer Rouge regime. Uh, they were in a refugee camp and then they got married in the refugee camp because it was easier for them to get refugee status to move to a different country. So they picked Canada. My mom was a cook. When she was a little kid, she would cook for her village. My mom was a cook in the refugee camp. All throughout her life, she's always cooked. My mom, I think, really wanted to have a restaurant. Yeah. It was his mom's dream. But when Mike followed a path to the culinary arts himself, his parents were not happy. When I entered the industry, they saw that I was working 80-hour weeks, getting paid absolutely nothing. They came over with $10 and they they went to college, they bought a house, they raised a family, and they haven't seen me do any of that. Mike was working incredibly hard in an industry that he loved, but no matter what he did, it never seemed to make his parents proud. For so long, I sacrificed my, my entire life, friendships, relationships, holidays, family time, sacrificed that all just to be a cook to get to where I wanted to be and to go back home like once a year and then my parents be like hey like you should go to college and university and go do something else uh kind of heartbreaking at some points right Mike recently went to Cambodia for the first time with his parents they urged him to go and reconnect with relatives I was like, I'm going to Cambodia to my business partner. And he's like, okay, 
when we come back, we'll have a solid idea of what we're going to do. Midway through my, my adventure, I, was, I sent an email pretty much and being like, Alex, we're doing a Cambodian place. I'm inspired. I can do this. It was, uh, it's kind of eye-opening. I got to cook uh, with my family, with my mom's village. When I got to cook with them, the tie between what my mom cooks for me and Cambodian, Cambodian food kind of made more sense. So would opening a restaurant inspired by his parents' cuisine change how they felt about his chosen career? Well, here's what happened when Tuk Tuk opened. The first time that they came in, we were packed. And we had a wait list of like an hour. And my dad was sitting down and he got up and he was walking around the restaurant with like his chest and chin in the air. And he's just like, food's good, right? To all the customers. And <laughs> the customers like weirded out for a second and be like, yeah, it's good. And then he'd come up to the front and then people would be walking into the restaurant. My dad's like, just come in, there's seats everywhere. And Megan, my GM is like, uh, no, 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 no. We're on a wait list right now. Like, we're on a wait list for an hour. You're going to have to wait. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen my dad, like, so happy, so proud. And his mom felt the same. When she's in town, she's always, like, she always wants to be in here. And she, she just wants to do dishes. She wants to make sure everything's running correctly. And she would just call me up. Hey, can I come to the restaurant? Like, I can do some work. I can uh, fold some dumplings. Like, no, ma. No. I asked her if she wanted to do a guest chef appearance here. She definitely wants to do that. We just had to set up a time for that. She just loves everything. The biggest, brightest smile all the time. They love it. My parents love Tuk Tuk. <laughs> they love that all the flavors that they put in my mouth as a kid, now everyone loves. I love how Mike's parents finally came around to the restaurant. It's, it's not just something that they're proud that their son did, but it sounds like it's a source of family bonding. It sounds like they can't stay away. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, I'm so here for it. So what about Vanessa, who we started with? What happened with her parents' restaurant? Well, remember how her brother took over? It's not as simple as it sounds. My brother called me and he was really upset. So he said, can you see if you can come help me? Because it was hard. It's not easy. And then on the weekend, I would go man the walks for my brother and help fill in where possible. So there was a lot there. <laughs> Two years ago, he decided it wasn't for him. And so the restaurant retired along with my dad. I did not know, none of us knew how much people cared. Like the lineup out the street for people to come and have their final, like everyday final meals. It was, it was interesting how many final meals people were having. And people still like would Facebook message me or contact me and say, Vanessa, why don't you come back and do this? I'll help you. I'll help you. Do you think Vanessa will ever take them up on their offers? Will she go back to Nova Scotia and open up her own place? Hmm, I don't think it's in the cards. She's doing really important work in her own city these days. 
As an activist, she convinced the city of Toronto to remove racist language from its food safety manual because it discriminated against Chinese restaurants. And she runs Cater Toronto, which helps people get ahead in the catering business. Many of her clients are newcomers and women of color. Like, she's really a superstar in her line of work. But, like so many kids of immigrants whose parents just don't understand, Vanessa used to hide all of her advocacy work from her parents. So when the public health and food handler certificate thing happened, it went into the Chinese press plus the mainstream press, and they found out and they they chastised and slashed, were angry at me because it's not the early bird gets the worm. It's like the early bird gets hit with a pan. Meaning, keep your head down. Don't make a fuss. Don't change the status quo. It's a gap in understanding. They really, really know food business, but I really, really know food business. And it's from different perspectives. But now that Ming's is closed, Vanessa's relationship with her dad has changed. He visited her in Toronto recently and saw a side of her he never knew. Not his little girl who was unworthy of continuing his legacy. He met his daughter, the activist. Because he was retired and had some time, he came to stay with me for a month. And after a few weeks of schlepping around with me, he's like, oh my God, Vanessa, you love food. And this is what you do. And he had no idea. So busy with what running the restaurant, he really has never known. So it was it was nice for my dad to see what I did. He saw the value in it. That's it for this episode of Born and Raised. I'm Angeline Francis. And I'm Aldonado. If you've got room for seconds, Family Restaurant has something for you that's off-menu. To see photos of our guests, read show notes, and the episode's transcript, you can visit HuffPost.ca. Born and Raised is produced by Aldonado and Stephanie Werner for HuffPost Canada. Executive producers Andre Lau and Lisa Young. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we get lost in translation. 20 years, like I said, that I've been speaking this way, it's just been a habit of pronouncing my name as Nguyen instead of Nguyen and Pho instead of Pho. The two most common words in Vietnamese, Nguyen and Pho, that everyone asks me to pronounce, it's just, you know, I'm a little tired of that question, how do you pronounce this? Until our next episode, thanks for listening. Stay hungry. <laughs>